Welcome to Cloud and Clear, the podcast by SADA for innovative business leaders and technology enthusiasts, where we explore how Google Cloud is transforming the industry and what that means to you. Now, here's your host, Tony Safoyan. All right, Joe Costco, welcome to Cloud and Clear. Thank you, Tony. Happy to be here. So, um, you know, one of the reasons I think I wanted to have you on is for context, you know, for again, this is for the ecosystem. This is something we put out um, just for our view on on uh, on the market, on Google Cloud, and what we're seeing. We know the audience is pretty broad, but you've been here doing this uh, for eight years, really running the sales organization. First, I would say the Google division uh, before the divestiture, but now to the sales organization. But you've been in the Google world, uh, knees deep eight years, seen a lot of change. And uh, one thing you and I were talking about is like, very few people out there have done as many deals as Joe Costco and Google, and, and Google deals, right? Yeah, it's been a wild ride. I can remember when I first started, well, first, I think my first project was Chromebooks. So Google <laughs> just introduced Chromebooks at that time around eight years ago. And yeah. We were trying to figure out with our customer base how we were going to leverage that, our, our Google Apps customer base at that time, and get them purchasing Chromebooks. And, and we had some success then, um, but it's, it's really been amazing. I look back from 2011 when I started to today, we've, we've grown 18 times. That's 1,800%, which breaks down to like over 40% new revenue, new bookings, Per year over the eight-year stretch so it's just you think about the number of deals the size of the deals the logos that we work with these days compared to back then it's it's night and day but it's really the same core team that we started back back then it's really the the folks that have helped us get to this point so yeah it's been, it's been great working with a them. lot of the key players including yourself have been with us for a long time obviously the, the, the team overall is you know, a lot bigger now um, but it's good to have, you know, people that are on this journey for the long, for the long haul. I think it gives us a certain advantage. Actually, it was funny. Somebody on the Google team, uh, came to me and they just got this account, you know, assigned to them a very important account. And they're like, look, you know, there's going to be changes. I'm going to be moved. You know, I just got this account, but I'm going to be moved off the moved off this account soon. It's not good continuity for the customer. So, like, hey, can I could I have Sada? Can I introduce you guys? Because I know you guys will be the consistent thread. <laughs> as as you know, there's reorgs and things like that within Google. It's like at least the 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 Sada seller sales team account team will be you know consistent. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, that's happened many times that we've seen Google reorganize, change the territories. Maybe the rep doesn't leave Google, but they just go to another area within Google and we are the common thread throughout. And we take a view with our customers that they, we want them to be our customers for their lifetime. And so we make sure that we have that continuity with them. Yeah. Oh, we Oftentimes our, our sales reps that do the initial deal, they're with them for a five year period. Yeah. Or, or even longer. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think you know we, we definitely want to highlight and differentiate SADA based on the overall customer experience, and we think consistency 
it's certainly one of those things. And of course, that that that, that rep has additional resources that get added onto the account and customer success or technical account management or support. But just having that consistency, I think, is is one way to make the product, uh, meaning Google Cloud, operate better, feel better, um, the experience of the customer in relation to their perception of Google Cloud. Our job, I feel, that's not is to enhance that in any way that we can. And I think consistency and experience is certainly, certainly one of the Yeah, I think things. we've demonstrated that with our growth, that we, what I talked about earlier, that over 40% per year, that only happens when you're really working well with your existing customers and they're gaining trust in you and they're doing more types of business with you. That's really an essential part of our, our business and our strategy going forward. So yeah. we'll continue to do that. Let's talk about the eight years in terms of the way we've diversified, both in terms of strategy, but also as Google Cloud has expanded and morphed. You know, there was a time where we didn't have, like we just were doing enterprise search and then we we're doing search and, and G Suite, but now the business looks a lot different. Like, do you want to take us through some of that history? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's kind of funny. Well, when I started, I think that was three, year, three years into SADA's start with Google itself in the enterprise space. It was Google Apps. SADA was a launch partner in 2008, I think. 2007. 2007. Yeah. And so uh, then we were apps for about exclusively for about four years. We got into the Chrome, as I mentioned, about that time. Then it was... The Google search appliance, I think, around about 2012, 13, somewhere. Like, we should put this timeline together, actually. <laughs> um, did that well for a couple of years, was growing that business. About the same time, maybe a little after, it was Google Maps. We brought that business on. And uh, about the same time, we started to incubate Google Cloud Platform. So all of, the, all of that was happening in that time frame and, and of course search the google search appliance went away it was deprecated and now we have google cloud search which is the cloud-based product so now you know now we're really hitting our stride and i think google is hitting its stride by having a more complete offering across these many different types of business applications and we're actually starting to see a lot of synergy in selling those applications and platforms uh, from customer to customer. Whereas in the past, usually if somebody was G Suite, that was, that was all that they were really looking at. That was all they were really playing with. They might, weren't using Google Cloud Platform, but today we're seeing lots and lots of those customers adopt GCP. Yeah, no, for sure. It's like whatever the entry point was for that customer, I think now they, they don't look at Google Cloud as a point solution anymore so much they look at it as a, a whole platform and in, in, in a, almost like a Google strategy, a, a, a one Google strategy of sort of if they feel like G Suite, for instance, provides a certain level of differentiation or culture change or competitive advantage for them, then like what else can they, what else can they adopt from the same organization that's going to provide a similar um, transformation of, uh, transformational moment in, in another part of the business. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we see businesses like Colgate was an example where they, they were a little unsure. It was a big move for them to move to G Suite. 
and they felt like they could get a lot of more productivity through the collaboration tools that Google offers. And, and they really, in about two, three years, they really hit their stride. They really started to see a lot of the productivity enhancement. And, and that just opens their eyes to everything that Google offers and everything that SADA can offer to them. So yeah. they start to, to really look, okay, there, there's more here. Let's go figure out what that is and let's go expand our business in that way. Let's use that technology to help us achieve our business goals. Yeah, and, and uh, we've also taken on that responsibility, I think, for our customers in, in our markets and our customers that, you know, it's our job to continue to educate and drive uh, awareness around uh, the expansion of the capabilities and what they already own and also anything that's really adjacent and complementary to their core strategy and that's why we've you know developed customer success uh as a, as a practice as, a, as, as just part of the core business um that's why we've developed a technical account management when it comes to gcp and, and it's just a core function a core strategic part of the business our account management and customer success i mean they partner together but um and, and you know it's you run account management because it's really a sales function, but you partner with the practice itself, um, the delivery organization on the customer success stuff. Because I think part of our strategy has been, you know, let's keep those things distinct. We'll have an organization whose job is simply customer satisfaction, business growth, renewal rates, things like that. Um, but those aren't the sellers. The sellers live, you know, in your team. But there's a partnership there because there's yeah. a time where a uh, customer success conversation leads to a new opportunity and that's what's best for the customer and that's what your team engages. And I think okay. one of the things I've really liked is seeing how that partnership has evolved over time. Yeah, that, that's been a great strategy that we've adopted because I think clients, they really appreciate that the key points of contact they have, whether it's a technical account manager, a TAM, or a customer success manager, CSM, that that person really isn't there to make money off of them. That's yeah. from their perspective. So there's that helps build trust and it helps guide our resources to really focus on customers' growth and success mm -hmm. apart from any financial incentive. And the, the customers are more forthcoming. They're more open as a consequence. And of course, we're going to run into new opportunities. We have an account management team that is sales focused, that is revenue driven. And, and there's a great relationship there because a TAM or a CSM can kick over an opportunity and, and have it run by someone who's well-versed in yep. executing deals and is incentivized in that manner. And yeah, it's been a phenomenal way of going to market and a great strategy. It's worked out extremely well for us. And I think our clients do. Yeah, no, I think they appreciate the delineation, and um, and it makes sense. You know, there's a team that, and customer success is sort of a, a in, in any sort of subscription slash you know lifetime value oriented business model. A lot of SaaS startups kind of have this function uh, built in. You know, customer success is dis distinct. That's you know it's, just, it's different than sales, but there's a role that sales plays at the right time, and I think. Obviously, we, we always feel like we can enhance and improve and, and, and scale those uh, functions. But I think um, so far, the partnership between those two, I, I really enjoyed um, 
watches as, yeah. as it's flourished. Yeah, the, the TAMs, the CSMs, they're the marathon runners. They're with a the client for forever. I tell my sales team, we're not marathon runners. We can't engage with customers on year-long sales cycles. We just typically don't have enough bandwidth. We don't have the stretch to do that effectively. Yes, there are exceptions on really major accounts that we can do that, and we do do it, and we do it well. But for the most part, we're looking at a half-year scenario for executing a sale. So, you know, the customer was going to want somebody there for the long haul that they can count on, and that's where the, those resources really come in. Yeah, and for top accounts, we realized you know, we're building an additional type of customer success team, you could call it, but really Scott Jensen's team that he's building around the sort of this client executive, client partner concept, which we feel like like our top 50 accounts really need because it's like customer success on steroids, right? It's like very what? detailed, like very intimate in territory one or two or three customers and that's who that sort of essentially customer success team would own and i think that's also going to continue to enhance the partnership with sales too because it's just inevitable that those uh client partner engagements will lead to well, the customer needing more stuff yeah in your fortune 2000 client they need an, a resource there they can count on they can have a business discussion with but they can also have the technical discussion with that's right with, with most of our you know, lower tier customers, what they want is somebody there to address their technical needs on a day-by-day -day basis. So we have great technical resources that we put on those accounts, but we can't always find a, someone that can speak both languages, business language with the C-level, and then also dive deep on what they need from a technical perspective, helping them architect the new, next new solution and That's so right. forth. So, Yes, there's definitely a need for those superstars that can consult and also troubleshoot a from a technical perspective. And yeah, we're building that team as well. So let's talk about customers. You, talk, you mentioned sort of marathon versus, uh, I wouldn't call them sprints, but maybe 10Ks. Um, and I think the way that we sell has evolved, um, but I think so has customer expectations in terms of how they want to be engaged with uh, and the slight variations between if it's a workforce transformation opportunity with G Suite or they're looking at parts of clouds, cloud or maps. But in, in the last eight years, and I know it seems it's really an eternity, it's 18 times bigger than when, when it started, but uh, can you talk about for the listeners, have you seen customer buying behavior expectations evolve over the last almost decade. Yeah, so take workforce transformation, G Suite. In the early days, we were dealing with much smaller customers, you know, like three, 400 uh, users, and there wasn't a tried and true sales process. So for each customer, they wanted to maybe purchase the product or evaluate the product differently. They, you know, one customer would come and say, hey, we just want 10 users. Can you give us 10 licenses? Yeah. We'll try it out. We want to we want to put it side by side, G Suite side by side with Microsoft and see how it goes. And we played that game for a while. Over time, we discovered, hey, this is not a good way for an organization to evaluate whether this set of capabilities, this tool set, this platform is the right fit for their organization. We say that 
No one person at an organization can make a decision by himself or herself to go G Suite. It's not possible. If you're the CEO, you can't even do it because if you make the wrong choice for your organization, you could be out of a job. So we have a, a, an, over time, over the years, we've developed a very thorough process by which an entire organization can evaluate whether G Suite is the right product or not. It involves security assessment. It involves the administrators and how they manage users and groups and teams. It involves the C-suite. You know, what, what are they gonna get out of the product that they, they might not have today? How will their admins help them manage their schedules? It involves the end users. You know, there's lots of different end users and they have business processes, ways of working. If you're making a decision for your organization as to whether you're gonna go to G Suite over the alternative, you better make sure the end users are on board. You better have some data to, that you've collected over the evaluation to support that effort. So we make sure that the organization goes through this process and they check all the boxes that they will need to check so that when this goes to their board or the executive committee for a yes or no, they have all the data there to make that decision one way or the other. And so uh, we're very strong in that perspective. And when we have clients that ask us to deviate from that, there's a little bit of wiggle room, but for the most part, we push back and we say, no, we've gone through this hundreds of times. We know what you need to do in order to do a proper evaluation. We don't want this to get to a point where it goes to your executive leadership and somebody asks the question, hey, uh, what about security? Have we checked into that? And yeah. we don't want to be caught flat-footed yeah. when that question arises. We want to have the actual report that lays out how we looked at this from every single angle from a security perspective. So our, our whole goal is to get to that board level discussion about whether it's a pro right product or not and to have all the data to have the financial justification in place to make that decision one way or the other and and, and that that's been a evolution over the years for one thing what i've seen you harp on all the time is with our team that's running the pre-sales process is like there's no shortcuts don't skip any steps because it always comes back to bite you. Right? It will come back to bite you. We've been left at the altar uh, many times where we showed up for the commencement ceremony and the client decides, hey, this, this isn't right. And when we find out why, almost universally, it's because we skipped a step. We didn't check a box. We thought we could get away with it. You know, the, the Googler or the client, somebody was telling us, hey, in this scenario, we think we can... We can shave this off. Come yeah. on, Sada, play ball with us. Yeah. And so we've learned that lesson the hard way a couple of times, and we said, not going to do it anymore. We, we've also been victims of um, letting kind of a champion CIO try to drive this thing directly, you know, by, by themselves. And uh, you talked about how it's sort of a career-defining moment. But, you know, we only had one CIO ever get fired for this decision. There's only one. I just remember this one. I'm not going to say the name of the organization, but <laughs> just happened one time. And probably because <laughs> shortcuts were taken, right? Totally, yeah. But that, I think that was like seven, seven years ago yeah. before we had a, a process. So there's a couple of things I really liked about the, like about the prescriptive process that we have now is regardless of the size of the organization, uh, it could be 5,000, 500, 5,000, 50,000 or more, 100,000 users, um, employees, 
is that um, actually customers like uh, when an, an organization like like us is prescriptive by nature. I think they like that we're when we're confident and pres prescriptive in terms of any methodology or process, including the process to evaluate. I, I think that's the first test. Yeah, we, we don't just say you have to do it this way. We explain why it's in their best interest to do it how we're suggesting. Because totally. if you're the CIO, you don't want to be the guy that misses a step and gets to your board and looks stupid in front of your board when somebody asks a question, did you check security? Yeah, that's a little bit of hyperbole, but you get the point, right? You, yes. just, you also, it, it, we've seen CIOs champion a team and be, be a champion of the evaluation but get, getting other people in the organization involved and building momentum in that way, that generally is better for their career because they get those people under them yeah, liking the of, process. Yeah, business especially. It's yeah. an opportunity to bring it together. Yeah, so it's not, it's not piecemeal. It's where the CIO might be shepherding this thing along by himself or herself. It's involving a team and having a process to get to a goal. And generally, that's viewed much more favorably than just an individual being a hero. So customers respond well to a prescriptive approach, especially if we explain it well, why, and we, we explain it every time. Two is, I, it's actually quite a effective qualification step, because when we lay out this prescriptive approach, and by the way, no matter how large you are, we can get you to a decision if you follow our process within four months. You'll know, yes or no, and it'll be the most well-informed decision possible. That's really our job. The way I look at our job in pre-sales is to get you to a decision and a, a completely well-informed decision at that time. But um, when we lay out this project plan and we get pushback in certain areas or this, the sponsor on the other side says, well, I can't do this, right? It's actually, that's a telling sign, right? When they can't follow our process. Yeah, absolutely. If, if we lay out a process and it's three months long and, and at the end of this three months, if Mr. Customer, you help us with the resources that we need for the evaluation, you'll have an answer one way or the other. And we get the, we get hemming and hawing and pushback on that. We get an idea that, okay, either this person isn't fully vested in this approach or they don't have control over the resources. There's, there's other factors at play that we might not be aware of, like other competitors guiding other principles of the company mm -hmm. and influencing it. So again, it's a telltale sign that maybe this isn't the right time for this customer to really take a serious look. Maybe we're not dealing with the right champion. Yeah. So take a step back, try to figure out when a better time is or how we get into the organization in a different way to build some more momentum and get a wider acceptance of an evaluation approach. So yeah, that's all really key. Yeah. So one is customers respond well to it. Two is if they don't respond well to our process, meaning they don't want to follow our process, it's a good qualification determinant, right? Is it, are they ready? Is this the right time for them? Is this the right person to lead the charge internally at this organization to make this decision? And the third, of course, uh, and I just mentioned that, is the third thing I love about it is that it if you follow the process, definitively you'll get to an answer. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And I think in a, in a complex proposal, and, and like I say, what, what I say about work for, uh, workforce transformation projects is that 
you are suggesting at the end of the day to change the number one used set of applications for a hundred percent of the employees. Yep. It Every is. single person typically uses that application, email and collaboration, almost every minute of every day. It's yeah. very personal to them. Yeah. They, their email is their own. Yeah. You know? Their documents are their own. At least that's how an employee thinks. That's right. And, and so we have to take that very, very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's a big decision. And if we do it the right way, not only do we get the right outcome in the decision, and, you know, if we follow the process, we don't win every time, but definitely it's a, yeah. a well-informed decision. And then usually that leads into a, a, a successful implementation as well because we've done the evaluation the right way should they choose to move forward. And um, so one thing we learned a lot about in the last three to four years is how, you know, workforce transformation is a, is a, is a sort of almost different process with different stakeholders and decision makers. But then Google Cloud is, is also very different, right? You were showing me this chart. We're prepping for this QBR. We're having one of the teams at Google. This chart like was like just amazing to see the growth of Google Cloud Platform at SADA as a business. Uh, it'll be at the end of this year our biggest business. Yeah. We know that already in terms of our projections, which is crazy because it's, it's also the newest, but it'll be the first um, business to scale this fast. I mean, Maps was fast, but this is going to even kind of um, eclipse eclipse that ramp uh, speed. Uh, how's so? This is more about business transformation. This is about go to market transformation. It's about infrastructure transformation. It's 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 strategic in a different way than workforce transformation is. So how how's the evaluation and the purchasing decision process? different around Google Cloud that you've seen? So it can be smaller uh, in that it's not an all-in proposition like right. workforce transformation. If a company is going to go to a new email and collaboration platform, it's pretty much for everyone in the organization. For GCP, cloud, business transformation, we can pick off specific use cases that lend themselves to the cloud in, in an impactful way, but perhaps an easier way for the client to section off, to parcel out specific workloads that can be enhanced or offer more reliability, scalability, uh, more analytics that the cloud might offer. There's some attribute of the cloud that, that certain workloads are gonna benefit the most from. And, and so we, we try to pinpoint those, sometimes a client understands that and comes to us and says, hey, I want to move this application over to Google's cloud. And so we, fo we focus on that use case because we know if we execute that well, even if it's small, that we can grow that account over time. And, and our data has shown that to be the case where we're growing like 400% a year, year over year for four years running. So start small, uh, do good work, uh, help those customers realize initial value. You'll build trust. Uh, you'll get a more and more insight into their environment, their plans, their business, and how they feel technology is going to help them transform. And you can work from there. Uh, we have other clients that, that have a general understanding that, okay, I need to adapt to tomorrow's environment. I need to move to the cloud, but I'm not sure how. I'm not sure where I should start. 
And with those clients, we do more of consulting and assessment to understand what they do as a business, why it's important, how technology plays into that, and then give them advice, really comb through their existing applications and infrastructure and say, here, here's how you should prioritize your move to the cloud. Here's where we think you should start and why, because it would have the most impact or maybe it's fairly easy to do and it'll show them, you know, let's crawl before we walk and walk before we run. So we go through that process with them and, and provide them a, a blueprint to get there. So yeah. it really depends on how sophisticated the customer is and how quickly they want to move uh, and whether they've identified certain things or not. We have other customers that are 100% native yeah. in Google Cloud Platform and, and they're very, very savvy and, and sometimes they're growing so fast themselves they just need more support yeah. from, from somebody like us. But, and oftentimes they say, hey, hey, Sada, I, I know the cloud. Uh, there ain't nothing you can teach me. <laughs> and we try to make the point that maybe there is. And, and oftentimes it's true. Even if it's just optimization of their environment, we have a customer that, that uh, spends quite a bit on Google Cloud Platform that said this very thing. And we say, well, how do you know you're optimizing your spend? You're spending all this money. And we've got the CTO thinking about it. And he's like, yeah, you're right. I, I, I think I'm overspending by about $60,000 a month. Yeah. And we said, we can help you there. We, we, can, right. we can give you, create reports and notifications that will give you greater insight into this issue earlier on so that you can take remedial action. Isn't this consumption economics, cloud world kind of amazing and, and beautiful and strange? Like in what traditional software business or in a traditional old school business, will we celebrate uh, the moment that we help a customer spend less with us? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's strange, right? Like, but it's actually the right thing to do for the customer if you care about the lifetime relationship. Yeah, I, the biggest thing for us as a partner is trust. And so if we know that cloud is gonna grow exponentially. We know that's going to happen for many of our customers, if not most. So why don't we just do the right thing? Why don't we help them optimize, help them be more nimble, quicker, uh, highlight any downsides for anything, but also showcase the upsides. We know that we'll win that game. Long term. Long, not even long term, like within a year. <laughs> we'll, they'll, they'll, the minute we build trust and show value, they will do more. Yes, 100%. There's so much more that they can do on the cloud than they're doing today for the most part, for most of our customers. So, yeah. so it's really in everyone's best interest to, to optimize environments because there is that growth upside. Maybe someday when it's 100%, 10 years, 20 years from now, when everyone's living in some cloud, one shape or form, maybe the dynamics will be different, but today it's all about trust and value and this is one of the ways in which we do it it's interesting how google cloud first of all gcp i mean by far the biggest addressable market that the total addressable market for not only just migrating existing infrastructure from you know on premise or something else to gcp but all the new capabilities and possibilities around ml ai uh big data uh, it's just it's just so immense but the starting point 
is actually simpler than work transformation um, in that it is not an all-in proposition and you can uh, do a viable POC or the production migration of a first application or first workload. Um, and, and you can do it, you know, like, again, which is a complete uh, sort of opposite of how it used to be in the past where moving to new platforms required a huge amount of initial investment, uh, maybe a three-year contract for hardware um, and some software. Regardless of your level of success, you own that and you were going to pay that entire amount of money. And now in this amazing time, in this cloud-centric world, you get to test for just a fraction of what it would take to yeah, you, bed like this before. You can test, you can ramp up quickly because of the ability to spin things up in the cloud much more rapidly than buying the purchasing process of getting data centers stood up and machines racked and, and so forth. So, it, and then Google's introducing things like Anthos that make deployment of applications and workloads easier across whatever, whether it's your data center on-prem or it's any other public cloud or Google Cloud itself. So the, the flexibility that organizations will have in the future about where things go and how much of it goes there, and they can look at all kinds of different factors, whether that's the capability that that, that particular cloud provides in terms of analytics, ML, AI specializations, or or they just want to look at cost, how to optimize cost. They don't want to be beholden to one cloud provider. Yeah. Uh, tools like Anthos are really going to be the next thing that provide organizations with that power and that control, so they can move in the most efficient and sensible manner according to their business yeah. objectives. Customers don't want lock in. Engineers don't want. You know, engineering leadership doesn't want lock in, and I think Google provides kind of a very, uh, very good narrative around that. Yeah. And also, we're excited I mean, to take that to market. technology leaders want the ability to control in a consistent manner too. So, if you have a mechanism to control things and manage them, but also where you deploy them is based on other parameters, I, I think that can be very appealing as well. So workforce transformation, it's board level, CEO decision, cloud, not all the time. It could just be head of engineering or the CTO or the CEO. Yeah, I think, but it's not. I, I mean, large organizations, that's one of the issues, how easy it is to spin things up. They got people <laughs> all throughout their organization with a credit card that are spinning up instances and yeah. running applications in the name of large, large company, ABC, you know, true. so, uh, we're, I think they're recognizing that as an issue. They're trying. That's one of the drivers for a move because, yeah, lo and behold, half of our organization is already there. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> there must be something to it. There must be a reason why people are doing that. That's right. That's right. And they want to take that to a more mature framework of governance and cost control and containment. And that's areas where we often come in and help um, help as well. Another thing that's changed. Um, the evaluation process has matured and we can get to customers to a decision faster, et cetera, or more well-informed decision based on who those decision makers may be. We just know how to 
uh, drive those processes. But another thing that's changed and it's driven um, us to open, you know, all the offices around the country and in Canada and Toronto that we have. It also feels like, and part of it is because our customers have gotten larger, but customers want to see us more, don't they? Yeah, uh, I think it goes back to the trust issue. They they want. We do a lot of business over the phone and and video connection, but at the end of the day, they want to be able to reach over the table, shake your hand, look you in the eye. I think that is critical. They want a, a partner that will be there, that will work side by side with their people, not just for the initial deployment, but have a presence going forward. I think that's really critical. And, and our strategy going forward is to be more present out in the field, to have not just sales and pre-sales resources in territories, key territories and cities, but also have some delivery resources there as well. Because again, the customer, when you're working at that organization, they want you to come in and interface with their yeah. people. And yeah. only so much of that can be done in light years away, right? Yeah. A lot of it, you have to sit down next to them. Yeah, you know, I look at, office space we just got back from the divestiture and it's, it's actually a significant amount of space here in LA and and I look at all our hiring plans like all of our hires are happening for the you know nine out of ten hires are happening in market mm -hmm. you know uh, in Denver and New York and Toronto and Chicago and Austin and now San Francisco and probably have one or two more offices up our sleeve in the near future. But yeah, all of our hires are outside. It feels like we're never going to run out of room in headquarters now because <laughs> yeah. all, all of our hires are in market. And, and you're right, it's, 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 it's a great, you know, one aspect, one first step is like, yes, we, ha we have some account accounts teams in market, but um, and that's better than complete remote sort of selling. But beyond that, that account team needs help and those customers need support that's above and beyond the sale or the sales process, it's you almost need these completely self-sufficient uh, in-market teams. Yeah, we're seeing this in Canada where they want resources in Canada. Uh, you might be working in Montreal where the they speak French and they're going to want resources there that speak their language. Um, we hear this in the Midwest. People in the Midwest like people working with people in the Midwest. So yeah. in Chicago, we're yeah. going to need a presence and. I'm sure it's the same in New York and elsewhere. So yeah, at the end of the day, people like to know personally yep. the people that they're working with. Yeah, but it goes back to the trust aspect. These are big bets our decision makers are making. They want to know you're there. Yeah, as a company, you've been around for 20 years, blah, blah, blah. But like, is my team here? Are they within, you know, an hour? <laughs> Of, of my office and my team, and I think uh, I think that's important. It started to work well, and I think we just have a lot more work to do in that area as as as, as we grow and scale. Uh, but I think our hiring patterns and opening offices and planting flags is is a good uh, foundational step. And we're seeing in places like I think we have like ten people in Denver now, mm -hmm. probably around that in New York, and so these you know these these, these places are getting. In, in NorCal, in aggregate, probably five or six people. So it's, it's starting to starting to. to yeah, you food. also want to give your employees a home base, so to speak, yeah. so that if they're working, maybe they work out of the home office for three days a week, but they're going into the office a couple of days. Mm -hmm. 
and they're meeting with their colleagues and there's that interaction and they're learning through osmosis. A lot of times you just learn, you don't even realize you're learning, but just in talking about your projects, talking about your deals, or you're absorbing information. Overhearing each other in yeah. their own conversation. Yeah, I mean, you feel more connected too. You want to you want to be able to export that culture that exists in headquarters out to each territory, and, and the way to do that is to create these offices. Yeah. We're in the midst of significant change implemented by Thomas Curry and Rob Ensler. They've come in. Um, I definitely feel the new sense of urgency from Google. I think it's great to see, but also. Uh, the, the beginnings of a massive level of investment in key accounts. And, and another thing is, as we look at the investments Google is making um, in markets, one thing is, you know, you and I talk about a lot and it almost seems like it's more urgent now than ever, it's just the hiring. Like we just need more people mm. to interact with our, you know, potential customers, existing customers in market, at, at ratios that are much closer to what Google's trying to do. Um, and, and I think part of that is just a lot more hires in places that we just don't have people or don't have enough people. So I think H2 is going to be uh, inclusive of a lot of additional sales capacity. Yep. Headcount. And, um, and, and I think uh, just hiring the right talent is super important because we want them to be successful. Yeah. And we... I think as we've grown and become more recognized in the market, we can be pickier and get truly excellent resources. Mm -hmm. Resources that can essentially stand on their own two legs from day one. And, and so as we go forward, we really need to focus on not just hiring bodies, but hiring the right bodies. Yes. Someone that can go head to head with whoever it is from the Google side or for, for the customer side and, and be seen as a peer. Totally. Yeah. That's super important. So if you're listening, we're hiring. <laughs> <laughs> Always hiring. We have a lot of open headcount. Uh, but it's a super exciting time. Again, uh, thank you for everything you've done over the last eight years. Congrats on a great H1. What were you, 140%? 140%. Not bad, not bad. That doesn't the numbers mean only go up, though. <laughs> that doesn't mean you're taking the foot off the gas, right? Yeah. Right? We're going to keep growing at, what I say, over 40% <laughs> yeah. year over year? Yeah, without sales, there's no revenue. That's for sure. And uh, thank you for joining me today. It was a great pleasure. Thank you, Tony. Much appreciated. Thank you for listening to Cloud & Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app.